I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mm. C'est bon, c'est bon. Welcome back. Merci beaucoup. You've been in Italy. Yes. At the Venice Film Festival. Mm -hmm. So last week I had to record by myself. Oh, and I'm sure it was just fine. Oh, well, you know. You, you you may never know. Oh, um, well, <laughs> you know, when I'm not covering something and I have time, I will listen. Sure. But this uh, th this will be kind of freeform because I don't have any notes. Oh, I just assumed we would talk about Venice. Oh, yes. Um, we did, we're not caught up on Drag Race Holland. No. So we'll have three episodes by next week. Oh, my God. We need to watch it. <laughs> oh, there's so much. Uh, but they go by quickly. Yeah, but but you know I'm coming back to immediately start watching screeners to cover uh, Toronto digitally. Yeah. So. And I don't think I watched anything this past week. Well, I hope you enjoyed your break because we <laughs> there's a lot to watch. Great. You know I love that so much. Uh huh. Uh, I did start the Phantom with Billy Zane, which you know I've never seen that. And I only watched the first 20 minutes and then had to stop because I was sleepy. But um, I, I, Billy Zane is very attractive. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I didn't realize, my only reference for him is in Poetic Justice. Not Titanic? Until you just said it, I wouldn't have been able to say he's in Titanic. In Titanic, he's with Lori Petty in the very beginning of the film at the drive-thru movie they're watching. You know, Titanic's not my type of movie, but and okay. I've seen it like eight times, and I still couldn't have told you he's in it. Uh, no, he's in the opening of Poetic Justice yes. in that film. It's a film within a film. Right. And also Lori Petty. Yeah. That's what I said. Oh, I thought you were talking about Titanic. No, Lori Petty is not in Titanic. Oh, see, I didn't know that either. Girl... <laughs> I don't like that movie, per se. Although but we, Lori Petty is not. Uh, well, what are you saying about Lori Petty? She's not a quality enough actor to be in Titanic? Well. We got to watch the Titanic while sitting in front of the Queen Mary. We sure did, yeah. That was Interesting. cool. Yeah, that, that was cool. And I'm not saying Titanic is my kind of film either, but yes, Billy Zane is attractive. And the film that I think that you should see, which to me is the pinnacle of Billy Zane attractiveness, is Sally Potter's Orlando starring Tilda Swinton, uh, from 1991, which is based on, I, I, I think it's, I, yeah, I'd say it's my favorite novel by Virginia Woolf. What is the movie I watched? It's from the 80s or maybe early 90s, and it's about, like, these, like, this couple on a ship, or, like, like, a boat out in the middle of the ocean, and they get hijacked by this man. Oh, Dead Calm. That's Billy Zane as well. Okay, yes. With Nicole Kidman and Nicole Samuel. Kidman, yes. So, I remember him from that. Yeah. But yeah, he looks good in The Phantom, so we need to watch that movie. Okay. I only got like 20 minutes in. I would love for you to watch Orlando. It's so good. Tilda Swinton is so good. When I'm not doing other things and I have time, I will do that. Um, but I did want to mention season four of Family Reunion is on Netflix. Yes, starring the great Loretta Devine. Yeah, highlight of the show is Loretta Devine. Uh, she's the uh, Madeer. But uh, I, yeah, I really ended up liking this show a lot. But I wanted to call out two episodes from season four that I was really impressed by. Uh, the one is Maz, who's like the patriarch. He has a cousin who was raised like as a brother to him. Mm -hmm. uh, we find out that he is a successful music producer, um, but he has somewhat distanced himself from the family. However, Tia Maori's character Coco is throwing a like musical theater production and wants him to join her to sort of add clout to the project. 
So everyone's excited about it. When this character shows up with his business partner, it's immediately clear he's gay. And potentially that's the reason why he has distanced himself. But the family's very kind to him when all of a sudden the youngest daughter, she asks the two of them, so how long have you been dating? And he says, oh, we're not dating, we're engaged. And everyone's very excited and congratulatory, except Grandpa, played by Richard Roundtree. He essentially says, I don't believe in it, it's a sin, I'm not going to accept it, and walks out. Mm -hmm. And the family's response for the remainder of the episode is really this conversation about homophobia and acceptance. And I was very moved and very impressed that a show that is... You know, I guess I could go on and on about it, but I just think like, you know, for a community that I think often gets labeled as um, not the most accepting, I think this this episode really showed what I want to believe is possible, the, what's possible and what the like what the truth is. Right. right. And I also think too, like, I often think like what would save the world is like black women. I feel like black women. Will save could save the world because I think like if you like the strength and the understanding and the compassion and even like looking at resiliency. Well, but but, but like even if we take like a little sample of like in hip hop and like females in hip hop and how they've sort of ushered in this new sort of understanding of LGBTQ mm -hmm. plus rights and and visibility. Like I really do think that. It's, there's a lot of power there, a lot of opportunity. So I think that this episode really showed what's mm -hmm. possible. Um, and Loretta Devine's character explaining to her husband, who's the one with the issue, why he's wrong, I thought was a very moving um, point of the episode. And then the next episode, the oldest daughter, Jade, she wants to be, all of the kids say they want to be adults. So this episode is sort of a take on that Cosby show episode where Theo is made to be an adult and has to pay all these bills combined with the Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And the and there's a point in the show, in the episode where um, Jade gets into like a fight with the bad witch and she thinks like oh we're going to like fist fight. And they say oh no, around here we don't fight. We settle disputes by uh voguing. So they have a like a vogue ball. So you have all these sissies voguing, which I thought was really cool. But the so I thought that was great. But there's a point in the episode where one of the gentlemen in the ball says something kind of sexual, and Loretta Devine's character is playing like Glenda the Good Witch, basically, and she says something to the effect of like, "This is a ball, not grinder." So stop that. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, to hear Loretta Devine reference grinder. <laughs> Just was really cool. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate this show and like a lot of the themes. It's not as hard hitting as it could be. It hasn't tackled yet, you know, more. It has tackled like police brutality and racism. But I think, you know, there are obviously other things like drugs and sexual assault and teen pregnancy. There are a lot of things it still has time to cover. But so far, I'm very impressed with the show. Moving on. I'm debating if I want to talk about the thing I talked to you about. Maybe early. we should try that last. Should I try that last? Let's do that last. Okay, we'll do that last. So then I guess what's next are notable deaths. Notable deaths. 
the obituary page. Well, so I think they both died on the same day. Uh, but the one I heard about first was Michael K. Williams. Um, okay. Who, yes, is probably best known for The Wire, which I've only watched one episode of and we haven't watched. Uh, but, you know, in hundreds of other parts across television and film, you know, Boardwalk Empire, and, you know, died of a heroin overdose. And he's always been very open about his... Um, drug issues and is somebody that I've always liked seeing on screen. Uh, I think he's a fantastic character. I was a fantastic character actor. Um, so that was a bummer to learn about. Uh, but besides uh, The Wire, I wanted to highlight just like five appearances across this filmography that Go I Go for it. Um, Time Out of Mind. It's a 2014 Oren Moverman film. Richard Gere's the lead. Uh, but uh, that definitely is a film worth checking out. Antoine Fuqua's Brooklyn's Finest, uh, which I know you've seen. Great soundtrack to that. Uh, Richard Gere's also in that. And uh, Wesley Snips' uh, Snitch. I know it's a Rick Roman Waugh film starring Dwayne Johnson. Uh, that looks like something you could just kind of bypass altogether, but that, that Snitch is actually kind of uh, an entertaining B film. Uh, Bessie, which you have seen with Queen Latifah. Uh, directed by Dee Reese. Uh-huh. He plays her male lover in that. And then uh, a film that was so totally surprising to me, a supporting role he does uh, is, a, I believe, uh, a character named Sweet Pea in a film called Triple Nine from John Hillcoat uh, a few years ago that is definitely worth checking out. Wow. Yeah, well. So, yeah. Uh, and then the other major death, uh, which was probably more talked about where I was, uh, on the Lido, uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo, you know, the I, I, kind of the face of the Nouvelle Vague, uh, which I'm assuming you're not familiar with him at all. No. Okay. Well, uh, you know, he was in Godard's Breathless and in a legion of films after that. He hasn't been in a film since 2008, uh, you know, passed away. Uh, but in the 60s and 70s, especially, like a lot of fantastic films, um, Five I wanted to highlight from him. Uh, the Man from Rio, a Philip DeBroca film, which there's a sequel. I believe Catherine Deneuve's sister is in one or both of those. Uh, a Double Tour, kind of a, a B-side Claude Chabrol film from the late 50s. Uh, the fantastic Leon Morin Priest uh, from Jean-Paul uh, Melville. He worked with Melville a few times, but Leon Morin Priest, uh, excellent. Especially if you're a fan of Schrader's First Reformed. Um, th- that is, I-, I think, kind of a film he's touching on, besides Bergman's Winter Light. Uh, Mississippi Mermaid, uh, a Francois Truffaut film where Deneuve is a mail-order bride, uh, is worth a look. Uh, late 1969. That film was made as Original Sin with Antonio Banderas and Angelina Jolie, I believe, hmm. in the late 90s. Uh, and then uh, Pierrot Le Fou, uh, probably my favorite Godard film, uh, uh, with uh, Belmondo and Anna Karina. But yeah, so two... Uh, kind of very different uh, actors that left different, very different kinds of legacies, but, you know, it was sad to hear about both. Indeed. All right. Well, you have plenty of time to talk about Venice. Venice! Uh, it was my first time. I stayed on the mainland, so I had to go back and forth via boat every day. And, it, you know, we talked about this. We had one um, uh, Zoom call. Zoom call. So let me. I, so, what do you want me to do? Start with my uh, top ten favorites, or the awards, or whatever feels right to you. 
Well, I guess we could comment on the awards first. Uh, the film that won the Golden Lion uh, was Audrey Dewan's Happening, uh, which is a very well-done abortion drama. Uh, it's her second film, a uh, great lead performance of an actress. I think I had predicted that this would win uh, Best Actress and maybe not The Golden Lion, but I'm not, I'm not mad at that. Uh, yeah, uh, Best Actress went to Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, uh, the Elmodovar film that opened the film festival, which was I, I was I enjoyed well enough. I think it's Elmodovar's best film. I think, as I said before, since The Skin I Live In, but uh, I, I really wanted Penelope Cruz to win Best Actress for a, another film and competition called Official Competition. Um, and then Best Actor went to the guy from On the Job 2, which was a film that I, I kind of lost my patience with, but was interesting. Uh, second place prize, the Grand Jury Prize, went to Paolo Sorrentino's The Hand of God. Also a film that had parts I liked in it, but overall was not a film I loved. The Italian press. The Italian press went crazy for all of the Italian films, of course, in competition. Uh, if you looked at any of the grids from there, it just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, my mind is blanking on what else won. Il Buco won a special jury prize, which is an interesting film, but also I was very tired when I saw uh, Best Screenplay went to Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter, which didn't make it in my top ten, but was a film I really liked. Uh, Love the film it's based on, or the book it's based on by Elena Ferrante as well. Um, yeah, my top ten. Uh, I, I really liked a film called The Hole in the Fence by Joaquin Del Paso. Uh, it's a Mexican-Polish co-production. Uh, kind of Lord of the Flies, Picnic at Hanging Rock vibes uh, about this, these kind of Polish men in Mexico that have created this little religious cult where it's a school but it plays like a cult like all religions to me uh, where they have all these young boys doing this ritual there are things going on in the nearby town there's like unrest and people being murdered it sounds like but they're still going on with their little religious retreat uh, and all the boys pick on the scholarship boy who's an indigenous indigenous young man uh, there's a queer component to it as well with one of the little boys uh, very dark and disturbing uh, I enjoyed it uh, Madeline Collins by Antoine Baraud, Baraud probably butchering his last name, starring uh, Virginia Fira. Uh, it was in Venice Days, and a, a really interesting film about uh, a woman's identity uh, dealing with some ongoing family trauma uh, that takes you a lot of time to orient yourself in a way to figure out how all these relationships work and what the upset is about. Jacqueline Bissett uh, is her mother. Uh, that I thought was an enjoyable film experience. Uh, the Power of the Dog, directed by Jane Campion, who won Best Director. I think everybody had this pegged as winning potentially the Golden Lion, which means Campion would be one of the very few to win the Lion and the Palme d'Or, but she didn't. She won Best director. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Kirsten Dunst, uh, Jesse Plemons. Uh, I think I mentioned this in our Zoom call, but yes, excellent dark little film with also some queer elements. Uh, Captain Volkanogov Escaped, directed by Alexei Chupov and Natasha Merkulova, a Russian film that is uh, set in 1938, but I think like their last film, The Man Who Surprised, Surprised Everyone, uh, I, I almost can't believe this got made uh, in Russia. Uh, so critical it is of the regime, the historical regime, because uh, most of these things are 
feel like they're covered up by propaganda. But it's kind of a surreal fable where this national security guard uh, goes on the run and he's basically being chased about Leningrad for the entire day. But his best friend who has been tortured to death uh, because he has tried to uh, flee uh, visits him as a corpse, kind of like an American world in London, and says, we're all going to hell. If you can't find atonement and get somebody to forgive you for your sins, you're going to go to hell too. So he he's, has stolen a file of all the people he's helped torture and kill, and he goes around the city telling these people who think that their relatives are still alive that uh, I helped, you know, kill this person. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And of course, no one is like, no, hell no, Flair. And like all of the fables like that, like Beauty and the Beast or somebody that's cursed to find unconditional love or forgiveness, um, you know, the moral of these stories is usually it has to come from within yourself to realize that, uh, you were deserving of it or not. Uh, but uh, notably, it stars this, I, I guess I'd call him the uh, poster boy of Russian art house film. He's, I think he's in five or six films this year across Cannes, Locarno, and uh, Venice, Yuri Borisov, uh, who I really like. Uh, he, he's the lead, and he's, I'll talk about him again in a second. But uh, yeah, I very, in Cannes, he was in Petrov's Flu and uh, a film I really like called Compartment Number no. Six. But yeah, really like that. Didn't win anything. Uh, next, Promises, which I've already talked about a little bit before, so I'll be brief with Isabelle Huppert. It opened the Orizanti section. You watched, I mean, it was playing in the background for you uh, as a, a mayor making promises that I really liked. Uh, does she end up getting kicked out? She does. She does end up not running again. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but the sacrifice she makes ensures, you know, better things for other people. Uh, reflection. The I think it's the third film from Valentin Vasyanovich, uh, Ukrainian filmmaker. This so Venice is considered a film festival of politeness, kind of like Toronto. And this film got booed uh, at the screening I was at. But and it is a difficult film, and dare I say, in the first third, kind of torture porn. Uh, basically, it's set in November of 2014, and it is about the ongoing uh, war in Ukraine, where Ukrainian soldiers still have to fight uh, the Russian-backed separatists. Very heavy, hard-hitting film, uh, filled with lots of uh, visual, symbolic motifs uh, about mirror images and reflections, and uh, kind of a, a microcosm of what's going on told through this surgeon who decides to volunteer for the front lines and then gets abducted and a microcosm of kind of PTSD of, for both him and kind of the Ukraine as, at large. Uh, and I really liked it, uh, but I could tell that the uh, press audience I saw it with was very unhappy with it. Um, next is kind of the only bright spot in the film festival. This was this was a film festival that had, there was themes of mass graves, political corruption, uh, uh, kind of biased press th- throughout, across cultures, throughout history. It was a very dark uh, film festival. Uh, but this was a, a bright spot that I found s- so excellent, and I think that you would love it. Uh, it's called Official Competition, um, directed by uh, Mariano Cohn and Gaston... Puplov, uh, I think I wrote down his last name. Gaston, sorry, Gaston Duprat. Uh, they're Argentinian. Uh, 
uh, starring Penelope Cruz, and this is the film I wish she had won Best Actress for, and Antonio Banderas and Oscar Martinez. Uh, it's about a wealthy businessman who ha- is uh, filthy rich but has not left a legacy, so he's like, I want to make something lasting. Uh, I want to make a, I want to produce a film. So he pays um, for this, the rights to this new popular novel called Rivalry, and he hires this notable art house director played by Penelope Cruz, who's kind of, I think they're trying to uh, do a parody on kind of Lucretia Martel. Uh, she's a, this, she's beautiful, and she's kind of this finicky lesbian. Uh, and she hires these two actors that are both from a completely opposite spectrums, like a theater actor played by Oscar Martinez, and then this celebrity played by Antonio Banderas. And that it's basically just them going through nine rehearsals and her kind of putting them through hell and them hating each other. And it's very on a much lower scale than this, but you're a big fan of Bullets Over Broadway. Mm-hmm. So it has kind of these weird energies, and it's very funny. Uh, and, yeah, it was just completely unexpected with all the darkness. Um, next, I have Mama, I'm Home. Uh, it's a Russian film, sophomore uh film from Vladimir Bitikov, uh, directed, of course, by the very notable Russian producer, Alexander Rodniansky. And this I just saw on a whim because I saw Rodniansky and it's starring Xenia Rapoport, a Russian actress I haven't watched in anything in quite a while, and also starring Yuri Borisov. Uh, And again, this deep state corruption, this mother who's, she's informed her son has died in Syria, but he's not really fighting for the Russian army. He had asthma, so he's fighting for a private company in Russia, protecting Russian interests, but technically that's illegal. But his sister had received a text message for two days after they said the, the, the Russians say he died. So she doesn't believe it. So she's like railing against the system, uh, causing trouble for everyone, kind of this just over-the-top, uh, rugged Russian woman. And finally, this man shows up saying like, hey, mom, I'm home. <laughs> and she's it's clearly not her son and it's Yuri Borisov and he's like and she's like you're not my kid get out it's like nope I'm living here and then kind of dealing with that but she's such this 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 very strong-willed woman that he kind of comes to respect and like her and he ends up helping her in all the other various things going on uh, in this film but I really enjoyed it and now it's part of the Orizonte extra film section so it's not even in the official horizons, but whatever. Uh, next, I had Lost Illusions with, uh, by Xavier Giannoli. I'm just kind of surprised this didn't win either. A very handsome, well-made uh, period piece, but it's hard, far from a stuffy uh, costume drama. It's uh, based on the 1843 serial novel by Honoré de Balzac, uh, kind of uh, about the corruption of the press, uh, the news media, uh, I thought was fascinating. Uh, and... Xavier Dolan is in it, and he's narrating it throughout, uh, which is pertinent to the uh, how Giannoli uh, constructs the plot. But I, I think it allows it to keep the wit of Balzac because Balzac's prose is phenomenal. Um, anyway, definitely uh, hope that that gets more attention. And then The Card Counter by Paul Schrader uh, with Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish and Willem Dafoe and Ty Sheridan. Uh, People like that movie. Yeah. Well, I did. So. Right. Uh, and that's also dealing with uh, significant trauma because Oscar Isaac is this person who uh, was recently released after like eight or nine years in Leavenworth for uh, convicted uh, of his active behavior in Abu Ghraib. 
uh, and kind of tries to lose himself in this gambling world and this gambling circuit. Uh, but trying to move forward to the pa to the future, but can't kind of let go of the past still because of this trauma. Uh, I you know that's a a film lover's kind of film. I, I think like all of Paul Schrader's films are. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I just I really liked it. So yeah, there's that. Uh, oh, disappointments. Do you want me to talk about my major disappointments? Yeah. <laughs> well, me. No, girl. Stop that. Uh, my, I think the thing I was most disappointed in was Halloween Kills. Mmm. Yeah, I, I really, I really didn't like it. The the dial. If there, you could have a drinking game for every time you hear Boogeyman. Um, evil dies tonight is the refrain that's going on in there because they try to you know I remember uh, back when this was filming with Halloween Dies because they filmed back to back and next year Halloween Dies or Halloween Ends sorry um, will be the last chapter it's like every time they say this in the film it's like well we know it's not going to die tonight I was going to say that yeah because I was reading about it and it's just like you know when this, you're going to split something up like this and we all know that there's a second part, it just, it's a, I don't know. Why didn't she? Go I, ahead. I'd like, I felt like David Gordon Green should have taken the time to try to do something really different. Because, you know, in Halloween 2018, they get rid of the, uh, the idea that Laurie Strode is his sister and blah, blah, blah. And they do try to explain maybe why he is what he is and what he does in this, but it's, it's still very ambiguous. Like, like they ex, ex, try to explain like him as like a, like he, how he can't die kind of. And, and what, and what is their explanation? They don't really have one. Just that there, there, there's a hypothesis that maybe he gets stronger every time he kills. And that makes oh, <laughs> like, he's a demon. Uh, I, but do we learn anything new about Michael Myers? Not definitively. No. Oh. So, and then I think, how uh, does he look? There's several. He his face his mask gets pulled off twice, but the camera doesn't show it. Once oh. by Kyle Richards, who they bring back, uh, and the nurse that survived from the original, and somebody. Then the there's another law enforcement officer that's still there. Uh, Kyle Richards pulls off his mask, and then she's like, "I saw his face." It's like, girl, who cares? It doesn't matter. Is that going to stop him? Like, oh. And then Jamie Lee, who you know I like, is chewing the scenery and it's almost like she has to because they put her on such a back burner she's there's this like errant vial of morphine lying in her room and she takes it and stabs it in her butt uh because you know she got stabbed and they have to do surgery on her in the beginning of this because it starts immediately where the other one left off and oh i don't even remember it's kind of like the original halloween 2 in 81 or whatever where it, which picks off immediately in in the hospital but you know, I remember when they were doing press for when these films were being made and they're like, oh, it's going to speak to the moment, like Black Lives Matter, blah, blah, blah. It does, it is saying something about how fear turns us into monsters, into like a mob scene. But, ugh, oh, God. Anthony Michael Hall seems like he gets the most screen time. I just, it, I, the dialogue is t terrible. I, I, uh, I did, I didn't, I just, didn't enjoy any of it. It's, I feel like it spins its wheels, wastes its time for us to be like, okay, so now we got to wait another year to see how you, you who's are going to end all this. And which, well, it, well, and of all the major horror franchises, um, this one was always the least interesting to me. I don't know. I like, I liked the 2018 reboot because I thought they gave Laurie Strode, like it has a lot to say about mental health trauma uh, in this woman and how she's processed it. Like to me, I thought, I really liked that direction for her. 
in this one, I think they're, you know, it's trying to be more about, I guess, Michael, but still not about Michael. I, I don't know. I thought it was just frustrating. Uh, so that was a big disappointment. If it's on streaming, I might watch it, but I wouldn't like make, I wouldn't go out of my way to watch this one when it comes out. Um, three, three of the Italian films in competition, I just frankly couldn't stand. Uh, Freaks Out. Uh, oh God. It's kind of like a, an Italian Nazi era X-Men film. Oh, um, that kind of sounds interesting. It sounds interesting, and it has some like things that seem like, oh, this should feel magical, but I felt absolutely nothing, and I know I'm not dead inside. Uh, and it stars Franz Rogowski as the German Nazi that has six fingers on each hand that's trying to find this person who has powers like Anna Paquin as Rogue uh, to, you know, to, for the Nazis to use, because uh, he can see into the future... Uh, and he knows that we're that Hitler's gonna die and lose the war, so this is the only way out. And he sees it, he's a pianist, and he sees into the future. So he brings he he plays concerts like he's playing Radiohead's "Creep" in one scene, and "Sweet Child of Mine" in another. And there's another scene with an iPhone. It's like oh, it's just it doesn't it's not doing it well enough to work. And then also films that do that, it's like okay, so. His scene to the future must end at 2021 because he can't play anything. Because <laughs> they're, they're not going to conceive some new pop hit track or something for him to play. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, Mario Martone's The King of Laughter. I was like nails on chalkboard uh, starring Tony Servio. Uh, I felt like it was Italian family screaming at me for two hours. Like it was just so frustrating grading. it was so grating and the italian press you could tell at that screening it you would have thought that they'd just seen i don't know what citizen kane for the first time it, uh, also america latina basically about this man that's suffering from hallucinogen schizophrenia that has a girl locked in the basement i thought that was disturbing in a way that was trash uh and I was really disappointed in Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon uh, by Anna Lily Amirpour, um, whose first film, The Girl Walks Home Alone, and I really liked, was very cool on The Bad Batch, was thinking this would be kind of a, a bizarre comeback for her. And then the opening credits start, and Kate Hudson's name comes up first, and I'm like, ugh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know how I feel about Kate Hudson. Uh, What's the movie with um, the autistic girl? Wait, what? Is, is, where Kate Hudson is like has a buzzed head and she's oh music music oh music yeah. where she's Kazoo her name is Kazoo that's right oh god girl uh, but I really it I, again it felt like a film that had some interest it was, felt like a B movie from the nineties which normally sounds like something that I would love but said nothing about anything whatsoever uh, thought it was kind of corny and smug I hate precocious children there is one. Uh, yeah. And then, so here's the funny thing about critics. Oh yeah. Tell us. <laughs> uh, last night in Soho directed by Edgar Wright, you know, Edgar Wright's got such a fanboy following all of these critics, uh, that were very cool on it, like chattering about it, praised it. Like it has overwhelming praise, but lots of the people I talked to were really were very so-so on it. I was less than so-so on it. I hated it. I thought it was stupid. Uh, but <laughs> despite some great visuals and a well-cut trailer, I, I think that this faux femininity is 
Edgar Wright doesn't know how to do genre. Uh, and uh, this is clearly evidence of that. Uh, and, okay, the only reason to see it would be to see Diana Rigg, who is now dead, Rita Tushingham, and Terrence Stamp. Because it's kind of an homage to... Visually, it's trying to do giallo things, uh, but not very well, and also trying to conjure up uh, a love of the swing in 60s and maybe get into the underbelly of what was going on uh, at the time as well. But this girl with this undefined gift who can see... It, just the plot hole mechanism of it is she sees her dead mother, she moves to this fashion school in London, we know that she has some kind of power, not how or why or when. Uh, she takes a room uh, that Diana Rigg owns and starts seeing visions of this girl. But then we learn that the girl's not even dead. So why is she seeing this? Ugh. I didn't... I think it's a waste of time. And I know that... Because I already got flack because a couple of people were like, oh, I noticed you posted a negative review of Last Night in Soho. Yeah, because that's what I actually think about it. <laughs> I didn't like it. I'm I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes page for Halloween Kills, mm -hmm. and your quote popped up. Oh. If the last installment gave us some thoughtful subtext on grief and trauma, all characters in this sequel across the board feel extremely futile. Oh, that sounded like a nicer statement. I oh, also... you know what they also do in Halloween Kills? They bring back um, CGI Donald Pleasance. Oh. <laughs> like, to say, and I, I wrote my review, like, let him be... <laughs> You know what I also read about Michael K. Williams? He, before he started acting, uh, he uh, worked as a temp for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. Oh. But after watching Janet Jackson's, uh, uh, or after Janet listening to Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814, um, uh, he decided to pursue a career in entertainment. Wow. Anyway, that caught my attention. He's also in Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. He's also, his first acting credit is in Madonna's video for Secret. Oh, wow. Uh, which is from the Bedtime Stories album. Which is not yes. one of my favorites, but I do like Bedtime but, Stories. But, I mean, he's pretty prolific. You know, he's been... Yeah, his IMDb is uh, very impressive. He, he stayed working, so it's a shame that he couldn't get that monkey off what, his back. What, what does Halloween Kills have on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, it's, it's not fresh. It's 56%. Oh, good. Good. It's nice to feel like I'm part of the... Um, yeah, so that is my uh, the disappointments. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Well, after so we, after we spoke, well, so we would you go back to Venice? I would. I guess I'll see how I. Feel. I I did miss it. It's very contained, like the festival portion of it on the Lido, uh, and I I didn't mind staying on the mainland. You know me. I like to get around quickly and efficiently. I don't want to have to take a boat to get somewhere. I want to be able to walk there quickly or get a car. I, I don't like being inhibited in that way. And I also didn't like that there wasn't kind of a distinct nightlife. Uh, it's very tourist oriented. Um, you know, I mentioned last time there aren't any gay bars. I really miss, I, it, I was kept thinking I was missing Toronto, uh, which is ongoing right now. And of course, that feeling of Berlin of like, there are things to go and play. There, there are, of course, Venice is a beautiful city. There are plenty of things to see, but I'm not a tourist, uh, and I never do tourist things just because that doesn't really uh, interest me. Uh, I, I like more of kind of local flavor, and uh, I, I think that I would need more years in the city to kind of get a handle on that, but 
yeah, it it was beautiful. I liked it. I would go again. Uh, did I like it more than Berlin or? Well, Cannes is just like work. Uh, Berlin or Toronto are more fun. Okay. Oh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that is worth. Oh, do you want to talk about um, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel? That was a big deal. I don't even know what that is. The Last Duel? Yeah, that with uh, Matt Damon and Adam Driver. Basically a, a, a Rashomon-style film about rape. In 14th century France, Marguerite de Thibaville claims she has been raped by her husband's best friend. Her husband, Knight Jean de Carugues, <laughs> challenges his friend. Carouge. Carouge. Oh my God. Challenges his friend and squire Jacques Legree to trial by combat. It is the last legally sanctioned duel in France's history. Oh, so this is autobiographical. Uh, Technically, yeah, but uh, they're also speaking English. Uh, Matt- this would be more fun if instead of a duel, they did uh, Vogue dancing. Yeah, that would be more fun, but they don't do that. So it starts out, it tells each three of their own, pers- the, the truth according to Jean Carouge. The truth. Oh, because the one says he didn't rape her, yeah, yeah. obviously. Uh, but Matt Damon's hair in that, he has this... Let me look up a picture. He has this Sandrine Bonaire La Ceremony haircut with the bangs. Uh, oh, you use very fancy language to describe a mullet. Yeah. <laughs> no, look up, look up Sandrine Bonaire's hair in La Ceremony. He has a mullet. But the bangs... The, bang kill, the bangs kill me. Yeah, but I mean, it's a mullet. Yeah, it's yeah. a terror. I mean, well, and oh, Ben Affleck hair. He's in, in it. Yes, he plays his cousin, uh, or he's cousin to the king. It's oh yeah, he has blonde hair. Oh, he it unnecessary. He has ben, like a bowl cut. Yeah, uh, Adam Driver, I think, fares the best in there, and at least nobody's trying accents. But it. But they're speaking English. Yeah, of course. It it builds up. It's because it's two and a half hours. It builds up enough tension to the titular duel where there's tension because she is raped. And if her husband, played by Matt Damon... who's So the truth is her husband's best friend did rape her. Yes, but her husband's no good either. Uh, Adam Driver Driver raped her. Yes. Okay. He's in love with her, but she doesn't really feel the same way. But he waits till she's alone in her home and goes there and rapes her. Uh, But it's interesting. There's another... uh, rape procedural that I saw that was really quite good. Well, wait, who wins the, the, the duel? Um, Carouge. Who's that? Matt Damon, her husband. Uh, so does that mean Adam Driver dies? Yeah, he gets struck. Oh, so the so it's like duel to the death. Yes, and if oh. if her husband loses, it means that means they're lying according to God, and that means she, who is pregnant, would be burned to death. Damn. <gasps> you know, women's rights. Uh, and her husband had to come out and say... It, it does have this... Establish this really kind of well-done uh, jealous rivalry. Um, I think in a rather clunky way. But, uh, to be fair, it's probably Ridley Scott's most interesting thing that I've seen in a while. So I didn't, I didn't hate it. But there was another rape procedural film at the film festival out of competition directed by Yvonne Attal based on a very uh, famous French novel uh, Les Choses Humaines which means the human things but the title of the uh, English language is The Accusation but again this different perspectives this this girl that uh, this young woman that says she's been raped 
and the young man who believes she didn't rape her. And they come from different worlds, different religions, different cultures. Also starring, his, uh, it's Charlotte Gainsbourg and her husband who directed it, and their son in real life is the lead. And, you know, did a really fantastic job of showing, based on both their perspectives, I believed them both. Strangely, I believe how she thinks that she was sexually assaulted. I believe how he thinks that she wasn't and that he didn't do that. Uh, and how the reality of that kind of comes down in this trial, uh, I think, was interesting. Hmm. But Ridley Scott's film is kind of an, in, in, in an interesting conversation on the same in the same film festival. Is that all you have for Venice? Uh, that I think that you'd be interested in talking about, yeah. Uh, on the way home on the flight, on the way to the, the film festival, I watched uh, Lethal Weapon, which is trash. I just, I, I, yeah. I, I don't, I remember watching it maybe like as soon as it came out on VHS back in the day. Sure. But I, I, I couldn't tell you. And as I'm thinking about it, is that with Danny Glover and Mel Gibson? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's one scene where Danny Glover tra- there's an explosion or bullets or something and he like grabs Mel Gibson to get him down he's like what are you a fag <laughs> like no Jesus uh, and then I watched National Lampoon's Animal House which I'd never seen I guess with Ryan Reynolds National Lampoon's Animal House with John Belushi from 1981 isn't Ryan Reynolds in a National Lampoon movie yeah I'm sure because they have a bunch of movies oh well you said it like why would Ryan Reynolds be in a National Lampoon no movie? but Animal House the kind of that set the precedence for all these college humor films oh okay I, I sure wait I think I just watched that like a couple weeks ago <laughs> let me look it up Anyway, what what did you think about it? Uh, I guess not for me. Uh, fine. I, I think we've seen so many things since then that. Oh, that's with the toga party. Yes. Yes, yeah. I have seen that. Yeah, I just okay. Uh, and then I watched a terrible film. I would love to watch this with you, and we could just heckle it. I just I want to watch this with people and just eviscerate it. It's called Our Friend with Dakota Johnson and Casey Affleck and. What's his name? Siegel. Jason Siegel. Oh God! It's very much kind of like that Kevin Hart movie Fatherhood, where it's like based on somebody's. It's based on a true story of trauma and cancer, and uh, I. Ugh. Well, be careful. You know, people are affected by cancer. They don't like when you. No, but that doesn't that <laughs> trauma doesn't justify hokum. Sorry. Well. And anyhow, uh, and then coming back. Uh, Rebel Without a Cause was on my flight, and I've ever I've never actually sat and watched that from start to finish. And James Dean is transfixing because I've never seen East of Eden or Giant. Because to me that seems like they need to be events. Anyway, I love Nicholas Ray. Johnny Guitar is a masterpiece to me. But Rebel Without a Cause, God, Natalie Wood's character is such a little shit in that. But uh, it's so gay. Sal Mineo uh, as Plato, just you can tell he just wants to get on. James Dean. It is, which I already kind of knew that there were queer vibes about that, but he is drinking him up, as you will. But it opens in a police station, and these <laughs> Sal Mineo's parents, neither of them are around, and his the black maid basically has to fend for him, and she comes to pick him up, and she's talking to this cop, and the cop asks Sal Plato, he's like, so why'd she shoot those puppies? <laughs> That's how the... <laughs> this guy just sh- shot some puppies. Um... Anyway, so that was actually very enjoyable on the plane. And then I followed it up with The Full Monty, because I've never seen that either. Uh, And I have to say that's 
a very interesting conversation piece about men and machismo and body positivity, uh, but also feels very dated. Okay. Is that it? Yeah, sure. Uh, now, you're just busting to talk about your... Uh... I'm not busting to talk about... Bust it. I do like that song. <laughs> um, well, speaking about body positivity, I had a little incident last week. An incident. An incident. A brown mound. A brown mound. Um, so we reviewed a film called Swan Song. Yeah, starring Udo Kier. And we didn't like it. Nope. And there's an actor in it whose name I won't say because I'm not trying to like be uh, draghead. I mean, I am petty. I am petty, Labelle, but I'm not. <laughs> and also, you know, this character, uh, it play, or this actor plays a, the character of a bartender in a gay bar in the movie Swan Song. So, if someone wants to know who I'm talking about, it wouldn't be that hard to look it up. But <laughs> Ooh, okay, let's call. What is it, Maria Bamford? I used to work for a company called Jiggly Gooper. Or... Or let's call him Disney. <laughs> or, or let's just call him Disney. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no. So uh, as I'm often want to do when I'm watching a film, I look up actors, usually on Instagram, uh, especially like if I think their acting is not the best, or they're in like a indie film where it's like clearly you don't make a living doing acting. So if Joseph is looking you up, it means he thinks you're no good. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, you know, just it's just curious, like... No, no, no. I, I think you look at people when you're... You found something interesting. Yeah, something interesting yeah. about them or, like... Sure. W- but also, you know, not being a great actor is interesting to me that, like, you know, you're in a movie and it's like, well, then shit, like, I could be an actor, but... So look this person up and that was two months ago when we watched the movie. Sure. Okay. It's important to know that this actor in the film is, like, this little twinky white boy. Okay. Like, like a little guy, like probably weighs like 130 pounds or whatever. Okay. I don't know what people weigh. I'm sitting on 200 pounds, so I don't know. But it's important to know that now, like, I guess during the quarantine or whatever, this person has gained like twice their body weight. Like he's like twice the person he used to be. Okay. Um, so that was interesting when I saw it, like, oh, holy shit, you know, then uh, last week, I because I had looked this person up, they were on my discovery page. Okay. So then their image pops up, and it's like them shirtless with like a message about body, like hashtag body positivity. Mm-hmm. So I liked that picture, and then another picture just like it. And I did know that that was the person in the movie. Not initially. I just saw this picture, and then I thought like, oh, that's interesting. But not to try to like soften what I'm about to say, but I do think it's important, like normalizing all body types is very important. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that, I mean, body positivity, I agree with, but I think just normalizing all types of bodies sure, and different colors of bodies and different physical attributes of bodies. And the only way to do that is to show it. Right. Yeah. So I think that's great. You're not going to catch my fat ass up on the gram like that, but, (laughs) but, but that, but that's just me, but I do admire people who do that. Okay. For whatever reason, if it's genuine or they just want attention, I don't know. But I, I do think it's nice to see. So I just like the picture trying to be nice. Did I know in the back of my head that this person was in a movie I said I didn't like? Yes, but that didn't stop me because I think like... What does it matter? Yeah, like what does it matter? Uh, and 
I had used the analogy before of like, I don't think McDonald's sells quality cheeseburgers. Like, I don't think their cheeseburgers are great. And for what they cost, there are other fast food options that are better. So the fact that I think McDonald's cheeseburgers aren't great, does that mean that a McDonald's employee should like not like me? Like, what do they have to do with and, and a supporting actor in a movie that's not that great? It's like, it's not their fault. You know, you sign up for something and the director and the budget and you just do what you have to do. So it's not like whatever. But I like the two pictures. And then within a few hours, I get a disappearing message of a screenshot of this actor having taken a screenshot of me liking, you know how like on Instagram, mm -hmm. you can see who likes. They had taken a screenshot of that and then said something about me lurking on their page uh -huh. and how I... How, like, you think I don't know that you trashed my movie, I can see you. Essentially, that was it. I can't verify because it, it was disappearing and I don't know verbatim. But it was something like that. And the main things that bothered me were the word lurking uh -huh. and trashing. So I'm not going to go on a rant about how I'm entitled to my opinion and, you know, whatever. It's not about that. It, I, I So I'm upset about the word lurking and trashing. And I also want to talk about people not ha like not maintaining the same energy and i think this whole social media thing cuz i'm not young and i feel like it's a younger person's game nowadays to be very like aggressive on social media and very bold yeah. but then when it comes down to it they're scared uh -huh. they turn into little punks <laughs> because we get a lot of comments on our youtube channel and 90 statistically 91% of them are positive according to the statistics, but we do get a percentage of like 9% not positive. And I never, almost never respond, but every blue moon I will. Uh -huh. If I can, you know, I usually don't respond unless I can think of something clever to say, and I'm not that clever, so I don't always have a response. But when I do respond, people's energy changes. All of a sudden it's like, oh no, like, I think you guys are great. It's just that, you know, my mom died of cancer. So this is a sensitive topic for me and blah, blah, blah. And sure. Okay. So this person messaged me and like with this, a disappearing screenshot. And I immediately had a response that was not very nice. Uh -huh. And then I deleted it and didn't send it uh -huh. because I thought I don't want to be uh, nasty. So I did respond and say noted. Uh-huh. I'll talk about it on the podcast next week if you're interested, <laughs> since I know you're watching me. Um, and then, of course, the person said, like, um, of course, I'm not interested. I'm not trying to antagonize you. Uh, I just need you to know that there are real people behind the things that you talk about. Uh -huh. uh, I, I'm not remembering it. I didn't write it down. And it's on my phone, which I don't have access to at the moment. But... Uh, and then I responded saying, like, you know, I don't think me publicly liking someone's photos is lurking. Like, it's a public Instagram account. Right. And my name, like, the person who made this review video, like, that is attached to my profile, liked the photo. So anyone can see that I liked it. That's not lurking. Also, to me, so to me, the word lurking is almost, like, lascivious. Like, I don't want your big ass. Like, I don't... <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the implication is, like, me lurking. It's not lurking. Like, your profile is your actor name that's attached to the film you did that I reviewed. So this wasn't me 
catfish, you know, this wasn't catfish level uh, sleuthing to find your profile. And it popped up on my discovery page two months after I looked at it initially. So I'm not trying to get at you. I'm not trying to be discreet about it. I was just trying to be nice uh, regarding a message that I did think was important. And maybe trying to be nice because... And I assume that this person didn't watch my review. Yeah. The, the, you, I don't I, assume... I, I would assume that most people haven't... But I don't know. Ryan Reynolds saw our thing and like and follows okay. us on Instagram. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I should think people are watching. But anyway, um, so that's that. But I think the lurking thing don't don't do that. Don't be sort of like this passive aggressive and make this claim like. And then the follow up was it made me uncomfortable. And that's the other thing that is bothering me. I'm just on a rant right now. But I think it's like, again, I feel like there's this thing people are doing nowadays where everyone is so bold until it comes down to it. And then they cower and then they want to stand behind like, well, I'm triggered and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm uncomfortable. And girl, bye. If you're uncomfortable by anyone, why don't have a public instagram profile right don't be a public figure don't post a bunch of shit publicly like if if you're gonna be that thin-skinned and also if you watch the review of the movie swan song oh that's the other part trash to me trashing is like this is shit don't watch it it's crap it's stupid i'm done no we spent 26 minutes explaining the film the parts of the story that didn't work for us the things that we thought could have been better what we did like i think we took a lot more time than that film deserved talking about it because we do think that the essence of, or we did think the essence of the story is a, is one that needs to be told. Right, right, right. And you and do like Udo Kier. I, I love Udo Kier. And yes. I love gay shit, but it's like, I'm not going to, just because something's gay or black, I'm just not going to like mince oh, my words. Yeah, like, anytime that I criticize something, I the worst, the, the most vitriol I've received personally is from white gay men that didn't appreciate me giving some kind of gay film, usually about white ones, uh, a negative review. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, whether I'm trashing it, whether I'm disrespectful, I, I don't, one, I don't, I'm never trying to be disrespectful. Can I learn from my, being critiqued myself? Yes. But at the end of the day, it is my opinion. Right. So just and, to wrap it up. And do you want me to be authentic or not? Do you want me to be out here on some right. fake shit like everybody else? I'm not out here to be hyperbolic and give you praise just because you created something. I'm here to uh, to suss out what works and what doesn't. There's nothing that's perfect. And the reality is, like, who cares what I think? Also who cares that, what I also think? Also that. I'm just giving my opinion because why not? Like, what? Like, be because other people are allowed to give their opinion, right? Straight white guys are allowed to talk ad nauseum right about every, like everything under the sun things that they don't understand that they don't care about and they're allowed to just shit on it and that's acceptable right because you know i don't know who else reviewed swan song but i'm sure i'm not the only person who has something to say about it but again to recap lurking to me does not work like that, that that's not the word to use and if I want like an unsuccessful fat white boy, I, I could find one in LA very easily. I don't need to search Instagram for that. Also, trashing, I think giving a thoughtful 26-minute review of a film is not trashing it. I didn't I, I didn't care for it. I said I was disappointed. 
I, I don't think that that's trashing. And for all y'all out there who like to get on the internet and do all this aggressive shit, but then when it comes down to it, when, you know, to say like, I need to understand there's a real person. Yeah, I know. I'm also a real person. So when you come at me and I respond, it's like, well, keep that same energy. Right, right, right. You were mad, girl. A real so person. stay mad. We didn't don't come... say like, now you don't want to be antagonistic and this shouldn't be public. I don't think we've ever spoken in a way that is disparaging to suggest enough to suggest that we aren't talking about real people in our respect. Right. Aren't respectful of the craft yeah we, i'm not like like just reckless with my words like i'm giving my honest opinion but at the same and time, i am bold because i'm not afraid and also because my livelihood doesn't depend on me getting invited to another free movie screening well, i feel like a lot of people are very uh you know they're playing a game because they're trying to build this career that relies on them like kissing everyone's ass and fortunately, I don't have to do that. Oh, yeah. And if one day I ever became big, it's going to be because people know that I say what I really you think. You will not. And if I don't want to talk about your movie, it's because I don't want to hurt your feelings. So sometimes when people ask, because we do get emails asking to review certain things, I don't respond because it's like, well, I can tell already I'm not going to like it. And I don't want to do that. Like you reached out to oh, me yeah. personally, like you used our names. Hey, Nick and Joseph, do you want to... And I don't respond. That's because... why, I would, if I'm friendly with somebody that is truly a friend that's involved with the production, and I didn't like it, I will not say anything. Yeah, I, I just wouldn't what's, even talk what's about the point. it. But uh, you will not. I'm not going to be out here like Edgar Wright last night in Soho. You're not going to get me on anything. What I'm saying in print or online is what I actually feel, and that is what I back up in person. I said what I said. I said what I said. I said what I said. If you come at me and want to th and think that you're going to intimidate me into like backtracking what I said, you're going to get your feelings hurt. No, it's <laughs> Swan Song's not. A, a I good, will tell you to your face what I did and did not like about something. Swan Song is not a good film. It it needed a much better screenplay. It needed a you know I think the problem is it needed a bigger budget. If you like Udo Kier you will get something out of it or Jennifer Coolidge from what I remember, but it's not a good film. Um, well, we have two minutes, so we have to wrap it up. Oh, I, I did find a, a quote that I thought was fitting uh, considering your gripes. Go ahead. It's from American author Albert Hubbard. Uh, to avoid criticism, be nothing, say nothing and be nothing. Well, that's not me. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.